Father, we just come before you this morning. We just bow our hearts to you. Father, you are Lord of lords and King of kings, worthy of our praise and worthy of our, of our subjection to you, Father, that we, um, we know you are Lord and you are over our lives. And we pray that we would surrender, we would listen to you, Father, we pray that we would be pleasing to you, that we would choose you over everything else in the world, every day of our lives, every moment. Speak to our hearts. Help us to listen to you, to hear that small voice that says, I want you to do this. I want you to listen to me. Obey my voice. Father, speak to our hearts. Open us up this day that we would have a life pleasing to you. I thank you for all the women that prepare the food. Father, I pray that you bless it to our bodies. And Father, I pray that you just use this lesson and change us. Make us and mold us into the women of God that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's open up. It's 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter 2. And I get the whole chapter. Woohoo! So it's fun. So last lesson in Paul's opening was Thanksgiving for Thessalonians. Um, for the Thessalonians. Their walk was full of faith, hope, and love, characterizing their new lives as believers. Now in chapter 2, we see him in defense of his character, his motives, and his clear affection and encouragement for the church. So let's open up in one. Let's, I'm going to read them one by one. So uh, verse 1, chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. With the report from Timothy... Of the progress of the church in adversity, he is telling them that their visit there was fruitful and they did not regret coming. In two, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So he references their treatment in Philippi. Reading back over this experience is a reminder of how God wants us to react in our trials. When trials come and life is hard, do we get angry and ask why? Or do we pray and praise God for the work that he's doing through the trial? It's trusting God is sovereign and he knows what's best and that he can use everything for his glory. We need to do as Paul did, pray and sing when trouble comes. Keep our hearts tender towards him. Verse 3, for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Paul is defending his motives here. There are three charges that have made against him, error, uncleanness, and deceit. We read in Acts 26, 24 through 25, now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. In Mark 3.20, Jesus' friends come to take him away, accusing him of being out of his mind. I'm sure that there are many among us that when we started following the Lord and sharing with our family and friends, they thought the same thing of us, right? I found out later when I had started walking with the Lord as a young woman that my mom had planned to have me kidnapped and deprogrammed. (laughs) But I found that out years later, so 
praise God that she didn't do it. <laughs> but I was attending a Calvary at the time in Denver. <laughs> so, but she didn't like that I was carrying my Bible around with me and reading. So, the second charge was uncleanness or impurity. The word here is akatharsia, which often has to do with sexual impurity. A Christian custom known as the kiss of peace was many times misinterpreted by the unbelievers to be something else than what it was. If the mind is in the gutter, it's going to think everybody else is in the gutter with them. In 1 Thessalonians 5.26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. We also go back to David and Jonathan, and I'm sure you've read back in 1 Samuel chapter 20 where David's in agony having to leave Jonathan because Saul is after seeking to kill him. And uh, they kissed one another and they wept together, and David more so. And sometimes you read these things and you go, huh, you know, but the gay community picks that up and they go, oh, look at this. And you go, no, it's a holy kiss. So Pastor Jim spoke about this also Sunday. And he referenced uh, Psalm 2, 10 through 12. So I'll read that. Um, now, therefore, a wise, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. I thought, kiss the son. Wow. Um, I looked up what it said, and David Guzik said, Kiss the Sun was primarily, um, has in mind the kiss of submission. With a dignitary, receives a humble kiss of an inferior. It also hints at the affection God wants in relationship in him. God wants us to recognize our proper place before him but to also rejoice in him and be affectionate in our relationship. He adds from Clark saying, kissing was the token of subjugation and of friendship. Um, my grandmother kissed all of her grandchildren on the lips, and I grew up that way. My mother was n not very affectionate. She's a wonderful woman, but she just is not that affectionate person. So my grandmother almost kissed always kissed us on the lips. And I love that. That's how I grew up. So it was fun. And then my husband works in Europe a lot. And all we've got a lot of friends there. And they all kiss you. They all kiss and they have a way of doing it. And at first it was kind of awkward for me. And I always missed and did weird things. But now I'm used to it. And I like it. They all walk up and they kiss you on the cheek. And then some of them kiss you on both cheeks. <laughs> so it's fun. But anyway, you have to get used to it. So um, also, it was also said that Paul was teaching was deceitful or deluded. So it lastly addresses that. In Hitler's time, the propagandists learned that if you repeated something enough, people would eventually believe it as the truth. And we certainly see that in the media today, don't we? They keep on telling us the vaccine is safe. You're not going to get COVID if you get the vaccine. They're telling us uh, the laptop was disinformation. Everybody said it, so it must be true, right? No. The economy is doing great. It's just you. You know, nothing is wrong. And on and on and on. They keep on telling us all this stuff that isn't true. And we're supposed to just buy it. And they think if they say it enough, 
But it's out of Hitler's book that if you tell them enough, they'll believe it. So no matter how many times they say it, we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit teaches us the truth, and we know that it's a lie. So let's go to verse 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Paul is accused of seeking to please men instead of God. Thinking back to this time, the law was burdensome, burdensome, and preaching the liberty of the gospel and the freedom of grace is contrary to the rigors of the law. So you can see why he was accused of this. Also, God tests our heart, not man, and God is just. At the beginning of the year, I saw something about our will and God's will and uh, deciding to please the Lord, um, deciding to please God and do his will. So um, I have been praying a lot about this and recognizing how truly selfish my heart is. Um, And it can be. And it's hard to surrender and go with what God wants for me sometimes. Uh, To give you a real example, sometimes when I'm doing my lesson, I'm sure none of you have done this, but when I answer something, is it me being honest with God? Or is it what, am I trying to please the women at the table by what I'm saying? I really have to examine my heart. And it's between pleasing, it's between me and God. It's pleasing him. It's not pleasing you guys. And I tell all the small group leaders that when they get nervous around you guys and it's like, oh, can I do this? No, we're not here to please you. We're here to help you and serve you. But we're first to please God when we're with you. And then, you know, we're there for you guys. But it's to please God, not not each other. So, um... Honestly, it is humbling sometimes to think of what we do and what we think, but we need our motives need to be right with the Lord. Uh, working on this lesson, I'm aware of the weight and the reverence of teaching, but am I thinking of pleasing all of you guys more than I should? Maybe, you know, what does Claudia think about what I'm going to say? <laughs> and it shouldn't be that. It should be solely about pleasing the Lord. And if I'm pleasing the Lord and being humble before you, you guys will be blessed because of it. And that's the way you need to look at it. That's the way that I need to look at it. It's being real with ourselves, and it's adjusting our motives. This is also a wake-up call in our lives. Are we being honest with others? Are we so intent on loving them and accepting them for who they are that we can't be honest and lovingly confront them by standing on what the Lord says over the world what the world is saying to them. It may cost us, but it is about pleasing God over everyone else. Seeking his will and direction in our life, he knows best, right? Paul continues with his defense in in verse 5. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. In verse 4, God is judge. In verse 5, God is witness. The word for flattery here is kolakia, which is always associated with gain. So they are saying that Paul is preaching the gospel for what he could get out of it. In the early Christian church, 
they were, um, there were those that um, tried to benefit from, from it. Just as today we can see around us that there are those that take, try to take advantage of this and preach the word for their own gain. They were told specifically by Christ not to ask for anything. Again, Pastor Jim talked on Sunday. He really could have done this today because so much of his teaching was in line with where we are. Again, Sunday, he talked about how Paul was a tent maker. He provided for himself. But if they gave a gift to him, he didn't ask for it. They gave it freely out of their heart. He quoted Philippians 16 and 17. But I'm going to start with 10 through 13 because it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite things in Philippians. Um, in 10, it says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And now at last, your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned that in whatever state I am to be content, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I have learned to be both full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is the first scripture I memorized in my life. So 16 says, for even in the Thessalonica, you sent, oh, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds from your account. So the first Christian book of order, the teaching of the 12 apostles, in it were the instructions that if you ever asked for money, you were considered a false prophet. So there was a heavy weight to that. <clears throat> Put that against today what they do, and it's in stark contrast. So let's go to verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is cutting out. <clears throat> Demands as apostles. Oh, that great. That made it worse. <coughs> when we might, might have made demands as apostles of Christ, Paul makes it clear that there was, he was there to give them, give to them, and not to take anything from them. He is stating that he is not seeking fame. And in 1 Thessalonians 1 5, he does not say, I came to you, but our gospel came to you. He is illuminating the gospel. It is the focus. It also shows his humility in his role. Philippians 4, 5 says, let your gentleness be known to all man, men. And he is gentle in his approach with them. So let's go to verse 7. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Cherish is to hold, feel dear, or show affection for, to keep or cultivate with care and affection. What do we cherish most in our life? It's to examine our heart and look what that object is of our affection and our care. We cherish and nurture our relationship with the Lord as he nurtures us. Ephesians 5.29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. We are reminded through Paul's letters of the affection that he had for the churches. You can feel the godly love and care that he had in submission to them. 
um, somebody named Hebert that was quoted in something I read. Um, Paul's statement of defense falls into two parts, the negative and the positive. It is his practice first to sweep away the false and then with the ground cleared to set forth the positive presentation of the truth. So that's a lot of times you have to take away the negative to get to the positive. Um, Let's go to verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. His witness and sincerity is evident. It is easier for us to trust when we feel loved by somebody and accepted. And this is what Paul is conveying to them. Not with flattery, but with sincerity. For you remember, let's go to verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. This verse relates back to verse 5, that he was not in it for what he could gain out of them. He did not ask for money, but they worked hard and provided for themselves. As we mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, he was skilled as a tent maker and could provide for himself. Go to verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. 11 says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. We have seen a mother reference here, and now we see a father reference, um, showing the loving care that he had for the believers as his own children. Um, and we know as parents, we love our old children, and this is showing how much he cherishes them. He is also that fit father figure that says, look at my life as witness, not don't do as I've done. He is that father figure to look up to for them. When we surrender, we should then be the witness to Christ's work and change in us. He was comfortable as an example, as he stated many times to the churches. Philippians 3.17 says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk as you have for a pattern. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1, it says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And he is telling this in also uh, verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He is telling them to have a walk that exemplifies Christ. And it is also a reminder of the future with Christ as his children, that we will someday be in his kingdom for his glory. Telling us how telling us how to walk in Ephesians 4, 1 through 2. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, and all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. First Corinthians 1, 9 also says, God is faithful. That's how we obey this. Um, by whom you were called in the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's how we are those things, is that we can do it only by God working through us. Uh, verse 13, for this reason, I also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as, 
but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. He is thankful for their belief in the gospel, knowing it was from God. God wants us to not only pray without ceasing, but he wants us to be continually thankful. And that is a gift to be in a state of mind of thankfulness, no matter what the circumstances are. You're thanking God for wherever you are and whatever is happening. Isn't it joy when you share the gospel and it's accepted readily as from God? And think of this. We have the printed word that we can share with others. This is the word of God. Paul was sharing the gospel as the word of God. He did not have this. He was preaching to them. And he wasn't preaching out of this. This is what he was writing. So think of what we have compared to what he had. Um, It wasn't printed out. So it was by the Holy Spirit. And we have the same Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I have said to you. And God does that. When we're speaking to somebody, we go, Oh, what am I going to say to them? The Holy Spirit speaks through us. Sometimes you're through and you go, wow, that was good. And you go, but it wasn't me. It was him. (laughs) So the Holy Spirit speaks through us. He leads us. He tells us who to talk to, all of that. Um, So I just finished 2 Chronicles. And when you read the Old Testament, when you go through that part, it's about the blood sacrifices and the ceremony and the rules of washing and the priests, and it really does hit you, the contrast that Jesus is that blood sacrifice. He's done away with all those things of the law and the Old Testament. He is our atonement, and he ended all of that on the cross. And think of that. Wouldn't that be hard for them to give that up and to think that this is a total change? That was a hard thing for them to reckon with. It's hard to accept change sometimes. So let's go on to 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from our own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. 15 says, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us? And they do not please God and are contrary to all men. 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Paul's way of encouraging them is that they are in good company now. So with those that have been persecuted before them, 15 and 16, he lists the errors and the sins of the Jews. If only Satan had known that the hindrance that he did stopping Paul would be a blessing, he wouldn't have done it, would he have? The value of those letters to the churches and for throughout all time that we have those letters is priceless. As the Lord uses what was meant for evil for his good, we too can use what's meant for harm for God's glory. What a contrast that that now the Gentiles were included. And as the chosen of God, this was hard for the Jews to accept, this inclusion. It still is. It's with pride 
that they, um, they go, I'm the chosen person, and they, they are. But it's in their arrogance and they, their pride that they, they did not want the Gentiles included. So let's go to 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. 18, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. I read that even though they were mostly Gentile converts, Paul did not need to explain Satan as a hindrance. He also writes the letter, since he is hindered, blocked, and coming to them, that he knows it is just for a short time, which shows his tenacity and faith of overcoming. We know from Acts 20 that Paul did return to them. It is Satan's prerogative to hinder Christians. It is our responsibility to recognize it for what it is and to overcome it. Ephesians six ten through 17 speaks of the whole armor of God and that we can stand against the enemy. Not only by God's protection and equipping can we stand. 19 says, For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? At his coming, Paul is reassuring them of his desire to come to them, his affection, love, and celebration for them. We rejoice at others' walk and commitment to the Lord. I just wish we could say it this beautifully as Paul did. Uh, Barclay said it best. First Thessalonians has been called a classic of friendship. And here's a passage where Paul's deep, deep affection for his friends breathe through his words. Across the centuries, centuries, we can still feel the love in those sentences. 20 says, for you are our glory and joy. Anyone sharing the gospel will gain an appreciation and excitement in seeing others commit to Christ and walk with the Lord. For that is our crown and joy that Paul shares with us, that God loves us enough to work through us and use us. And we are to praise and celebrate that he is using us because that is our our crown and our joy. So let's uh, go to our groups and thank you and have fun in your groups. Praise God.